Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromlow, joined by my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. And Hal, we may have six weeks left in this NFL regular season, but we have a lot of games this week that could prove absolutely decisive in how the playoff picture ultimately takes shape, don't we? We certainly do, David. There are some great matchups, NFC, NFC against AFC, interconference AFC games. This is the home stretch coming in now, and it's probably the most exciting time of the NFL starting right now. Indeed, and we will get to a little bit of those games later on. But first, uh, let's discuss our main takeaways from Week 11. Why don't you start here, Hal? What were your main takeaways from Week 11? Well, my main takeaways, I'm looking at what is going on in Atlanta. I don't know what they're feeding those players these last two weeks, but that is a team that is on fire and playing for their head coach's job. And finally, looking like the team that we thought Atlanta might have been last year, and maybe even bouncing back this year. It may be too little too late, but it looks like a resurgence and an exciting finish for them playing spoiler down the stretch. Oh, I completely agree, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a little bit, but we proceed to my takeaway for now. Uh, Miles Garrett, that was beyond inexcusable, Miles Garrett, and it wasn't just inexcusable. It wasn't just breaking the rules. It was, dare I say, a crime. Mason Rudolph could have been killed. He could have been killed. And today, the big news is Miles Garrett's appeal on his indefinite suspension being heard. And he definitely wants a finite suspension as opposed to an indefinite one. And he believes the CBA is on his side. And he also believes that uh, he should uh, only get two or three games like Antonio Smith got for a similar incident a couple years ago. But Times have changed, and people are more safety-conscious than ever. And if uh, Miles Garrett's suspension does indeed have to be finite, the NFL must suspend him for the first 10 games of next season, if not the entirety of next season, if the Browns do not make the playoffs. Like I said, Mason Rudolph could have been killed, and NFL, you cannot claim to be for player safety without bringing a 50-ton anvil down on Miles Garrett. Amen, David. I couldn't agree with that take more. That was just inexcusable and a black eye for the league, which does not need a black eye like that with all the past violent crimes and criminals that have been in the league and other off-field incidents. They need the focus on football and legislate this kind of behavior right out of the game. Oh, absolutely. And if uh, the suspension is reduced to just two or three games, that would be inexplicable, wouldn't it? It certainly would. I can't agree with you more. Past precedent doesn't take place here. This is prime time, national game, just the only thing people were talking about for days on end. They have to make a strong and decisive stand. And plus, Miles Garrett is lucky that Mason Rudolph isn't pursuing assault charges against him. Exactly. As we've seen in other sports that these type of incidents, that is, you know, intent to injure with a weapon. If that, it just take that out and put it on the street, and he's behind bars. You said it, Hal. And now we go to our favorite game, truth or exaggeration, and we start with the Atlanta Falcons, who should retain Dan Quinn as head coach if they keep this level of play up and win four or five more games down the stretch. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to have to go with that is the truth. I think the, the players have made a statement these past two weeks, and their statement is, we want our coach. And they came out of that bye week after losing to Seattle. Was that like six in a row or something? 
And, you know, they knew his job was on the line and they put their money where their mouth was and they bounced back. And all of a sudden, they're one of those dangerous teams that a lot of teams are going to be playing down the stretch. San Francisco, New Orleans still has to play them again, Carolina, and they could be deciding who's getting bye weeks, who's getting uh, the top seeds and uh, who's going home. I totally agree, Hal. There is no better way to play for pride than playing spoiler for several weeks down the stretch of the National Football League. And speaking of the Carolina Panthers, Kyle Allen has turned back into a pumpkin, and the Panthers should feel obligated to start Will Greer and see what they have in him as soon as they're officially eliminated from playoff contention. Truth or exaggeration? Yeah, let, let, let's lean to the truth on that one. I think that's going to have to go a little more to the truth side on that, uh, on that for sure. And speaking of uh, backup quarterbacks this year, the backup, if Mason Rudolph continues to be this inept for the Steelers, they should go back to Duck Hodges at quarterback. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, I mean, that's a truth. I mean, Pittsburgh right now, they, they clawed themselves back into this uh, wild card race right now. I don't think there's any chance of winning the division with Baltimore playing the way they are. But they've still got to do what's best for that team. And if they're still planning to go with Ben Roethlisberger at 38 years old as their quarterback next year, of returning healthy, they have to think about just this season and nothing else. And that may mean going back to Hodges if Rudolph continues to struggle. I also agree there. And we go to a potential MVP candidate where the narrative that Dak Prescott is just a part of his surroundings can now be completely discarded as he has grown into a bona fide franchise quarterback. Truth or exaggeration? Yeah, I mean, it's a truth. And I think, you know, you're seeing the evolution of a quarterback there with Dak. When Dak came into the league, you know, it was the offensive line. It was the running game setting it up. But he's continued to grow it. And that's all that you can ask for out of a quarterback is that continued improvement. When when players reach that peak early and don't ever continue growing, that's when you start thinking about moving on from a quarterback. But as far as Dak, I think that you can trace that as continual growth as a leader, as a quarterback, as a passer. Definitely a truth there. And we go to college football and the NFL draft right now, where the potentially career-threatening hip injury to Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa means there is an extremely high chance that Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert will be a top three to five pick in the 2020 NFL draft. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, that's the truth. I I was actually watching Oregon recently, and uh, boy, that kid can throw the football. He looks like a pro quarterback. I, you know, had him number two behind uh, Tua at the start of the season, and I know a lot of people moved him back, but he's going to jump right back up on those charts. He's definitely a top five pick. And to a team that might be looking for a quarterback in next year's draft, Phillip Rivers is close to done, if not already so, and the Chargers should do whatever it takes to trade up into the top five to select either Herbert or Joe Burrow. Truth or exaggeration? That is a tough call there. I'm not sure a lot of the problems for Philip Rivers aren't the offensive line in front of him, and he's just trying to put too much. He's just having a bad stretch. I'm not ready to give up on Philip Rivers at this point. He's had, a, yes, a string of some pretty bad throws and some pretty important situations there as well, but at the same time, I know he's got a lot of skilled position players around him, but it's all about that blocking up front, and when you get that quarterback 
off of that comfort level there as he's been this season. I think in this case, I think he's still got some more. So I'm going to say that's an exaggeration. I think there's still two or three good years coming out of Phillip Rivers right now. Oh, that is interesting. And uh, the Chargers' final five games, I think, should tell the tale there. And if he shows uh, some big improvements from these last couple weeks, then uh, they might hold their fire. But if he uh, continues to disappoint, then all bets are off there. And it was reported by Mark Maskey of the Washington Post that uh, there is some optimism that the NFL and NFLPA could agree to a new collective bargaining agreement by the end of January. But um, I personally believe that the NFLPA must wait until March of 2021 when the current CBA expires to sign off on a new CBA. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, David, that's 100% truth. I, I think the, you know, the players have, uh, haven't exactly picked up many wins <laughs> recently in the negotiations, and they need to stretch this out and leverage this as long as they possibly can to get the best deal for their players uh, with the ownership group. I 100% agree they should be stretching this out. There should be no early deals. They just need a win, and they need to put the owner's feet to the fire for a change, which they haven't been able to do in the last couple negotiations. There's our simpatico alert there. And yes, uh, the play players do not rush into a deal. There's no need to rush into one this soon. You've got... Plenty of time left to agree to one. Yes, I understand uh, you and the owners uh, want to avoid a work stoppage this time, and you're farther ahead in the game than you were at this point in the uh, 2011 negotiations, but give it time. You don't have to rush. You never know what's happening around the corner. There's plenty of time, plenty of things that pop up that nobody's thought of that will happen on the field, off the field next year. Players need to keep that open mind. 100% agree. And now let's play a little game with some suggestions for the new CBA. And this game is called Good Idea, Bad Idea. And I'm sure you know how this game works. And the first idea for the new CBA is to shorten rookie deals to three years with a fourth-year player option for first-round picks. Good idea or bad idea? Well, I'm going to say that's a great idea for the players. And the owners will say that is a horrible idea. But I believe I'm always on the side of the players. They should be getting to free agency sooner, not later. So that's a 100% good idea. Yes, I kind of got this idea from reading an article by Jason Fitzgerald of OverTheCap.com in which he made 10 suggestions for the new CBA. And he recommended uh, trimming rookie contracts down to two years. And uh, I said, uh, nope, uh, the NFL is not going to go that far. They're going to want to stay never, in their model. Never. But this is a middle ground that I think both sides could agree to. I, I definitely agree. I agree with that. You know, I mean, with the average career of the NFL player around three years, the players should be digging in their heels and trying to get as many players to the second contract sooner than later. Indeed, and we go to the franchise tag, where the NFL should only allow the franchise tag to be used on a player twice throughout his career as opposed to three times. Good idea or bad idea? That's a good idea, and I would say even further, it should only be used once. This was a, the franchise tag was originally intended for a, the smaller teams. They were afraid all of the superstars were going to pull a 
kind of like what happens in the NBA right now and all congregate for Golden State or in Los Angeles or Miami, whatever happens there, and the NFL didn't want that. I don't think that that really is a risk in the NFL with free agency. There's just too many good players, too many different teams, and not enough difference maker uh, kind of free agents like that, like an NBA where there's only five guys on the floor. So I, I think the franchise tag definitely from three to two, and I would even push if I was the, with the players to say one time only, that's it. Boop, 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 boop. We got our simpatico alert again. That is my ideal situation as well. Like you, I side with the players here, but uh, they're inevitably going to have to compromise a little bit, just like the owners are. So I'm kind of uh, looking at more like uh, middle ground solutions here. So, th- so that's why I said uh, only use it twice as opposed to once, because I'm not sure the owners would be willing to go that far. Exactly. And again, like any negotiations, you're looking for that middle ground. And again, that's what the players should be pushing for instead of pushing to get this deal done is to put some of that pressure on the owners on these types of things to to help their constituents, to help their players in the union. Indeed. And staying with the franchise tag for a moment, they should abolish the exclusive rights franchise tag, which is where a team tags a player and a player has no potential suitors on the trade market and, and no other suitors, period, dare I say, other than their current team. So abolish that and reduce the compensation level for tag players from two first-round picks to one first-round pick. Good idea or bad idea? Oh, it's a it's a fantastic idea. I mean, we, I mean there, there should be no situation where a player reaches the end of his contract and has absolutely no negotiation rights. And, you know, it's just ridiculous in this day and age. And you can count on one hand the number of players who have actually left for that kind of compensation. In just about every situation, the teams have gotten together and worked out some kind of deal for that player at a reduced rate of some type. So, yeah, definitely good idea there. Yes, and I kind of will call this the Von Miller rule, and here's why. The Broncos, after they won Super Bowl 50 and Von Miller got the Super Bowl MVP and all that um, glory, uh, they slapped him with the exclusive rights franchise tag. And the deal was this close to falling apart because unless Von Miller got the compensation he wanted, he would not play the year under the exclusive rights franchise tag, meaning the Broncos could not use the tag the subsequent year, and he would only be acquired with a first and a third round pick as opposed to two firsts. So, uh, and there's no need for that. Von Miller exploited the loophole in that. Teams have absolutely no leverage with this anymore. Get rid of it. Amen. I agree, David. And last but not least, if the regular season expands to 17 games, then the players must get an additional bye week, making the regular season 18 weeks long, to go along with the two fewer preseason games the league has already proposed in return. In my opinion, the players cannot agree to a new CBA without an additional bye week in a 17-game season. Yeah, and this is a great idea because I see this as a win-win situation. The NFL is, the league itself is always trying to push out the season longer. They want to push the the Super Bowl back further. I mean, I would love to see the Super Bowl being played on Sunday night on a holiday weekend in February when most people 
are going to have the day off on Monday and they can stay up and watch the Super Bowl. That should be their goal. So for the players, yes, an extra week of rest. That's fantastic for the league. Stretch it out further, even better. Oh, I am with you right there, Hal. And now we move on to our game of the week as the Green Bay Packers travel to the Bay to take on the 49ers on Sunday night football. And today, 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan said that George Kittle, Emmanuel Sanders, D. Ford, Debo Samuel, Joe Staley, and Matt Breida, all of whom did not participate in today's practice, by the way, will be game-time decisions. And given the importance and difficulty of this game and the subsequent two games the 49ers have against uh, the Ravens and Saints on the road, respectively, these decisions on all these key players' availability Sunday night are going to be pretty tough. Because look at it. The 49ers are millimeters away from both the NFC's number one playoff seed and a wild-card spot. If all these players are at, say, 80-85%, to do you play them this week? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've got to be leaning towards uh, giving these guys as much rest as possible and thinking long-term uh, for the 49ers. You know, at this point, if you're running somebody out there who's already slowed down and you run the risk of that injury being worse and losing them for a significant period of time, you know, at that point, it's not worth playing for that that bye week or that number one seed if you're not going to have those players available to you in that postseason to begin with. So they definitely have to lean uh, on the side of caution in this case with these injuries. And if these guys aren't ready to go on Sunday night, then they need to uh, shut them down. Yeah, absolutely. It's still um, a little too early to start um, uh, panicking and playing these players at uh, worse than 100%. Uh, this is not necessarily a playoff game per se. The 49ers are still a deep and talented team to make a deep run in the playoffs no matter where they end up in the seedings. And uh, when you look at the Packers, a big problem for them, as uh, Pat Kerwin pointed out on um, his show Moving the Chains on Sirius XM NFL Radio, uh, the Packers, they lead the league in when it comes to costly penalties. Like, uh, especially in penalties that drive coaches nuts, like offsides, false starts, illegal shifts and formations, etc. How crucial is it that they avoid these penalties against a team like the 49ers? Yeah, against the 49ers, you know, especially if you're making these kind of mistakes on offense, those are what kill drives. And once you start killing drives and you're taking Aaron Rodgers off the field, that's never a good thing when you're going against a defense like the 49ers as well. And you put yourself in a situation where you're at second and 20, third and 15, and that just allows them with that great front to start teeing off and not respecting the running game. And and that's when you just run into problems. So for Green Bay, that's definitely something that has to be cleaned up on Sunday night. It most certainly does. And you better have that silent count more prepared than ever, Aaron Rodgers, because uh, Levi Stadium is going to be hopping mad on Sunday. Oh, it definitely is. That's going to be, uh, you know, for, what was it, two, three years ago, San Francisco, they they couldn't fill the stadium. You had the whole sunny side was empty, and, and all of a sudden this has turned around, and that's become one of the most difficult places to play this year. Oh, it most certainly has. And, heck, I think uh, that crowd noise, uh, I'm not ready to say it's Arrowhead or Seattle yet, but it's getting pretty darn close. It really is. It's really turning into a fun place. And, and, and you know, for me, that growing up in the middle of the, the 49ers dynasty, for me, it just feels right 
to have the 49ers as one of the strongest teams in the NFL. And it's just great to see that atmosphere in San Francisco again. Absolutely. One of the league's most storied franchises is back at it. And nothing is better when a team with such a rich history is uh, back firing on all cylinders. And let's talk about some of the game-deciding matchups. What matchups are you looking at in this game, Hal? Well, you you know me. I'm, I'm always looking on the inside of that offensive line, and I want to see you know how that 49ers interior offensive line is going to go up against Green Bay. You, you know Kenny Clark is one of our favorites on this show as far as disruptors Indeed. in the middle of that defense. We both love Kenny Clark. We're waving the flag in his fan club. And so for a 49ers team that's been ground and pound and former Giants Weston Richburg at center, Lakin Tomlinson, who's turned into a different player in San Francisco than he was in Detroit, they've just been fantastic this year for them. And it's going to be really, really interesting to see that matchup right in the middle because as this game goes, it's really, you know, is San Francisco going to impose their will on Green Bay? In which case, you know, I, I think San Francisco's got a pretty easy win going there. Or if Green Bay can stop that offense and put a lot of pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo to, to move the ball through the air, that certainly changes the whole dynamic of that San Francisco offense. Totally does, and uh, the 49ers were obviously thrilled to have Kyle Juszczyk back last week, and boy, did he make a difference in that game, but they still might be without George Kittle, and without George Kittle, that run game just is missing those same explosive plays that they have with him uh, in the lineup, so that interior of the 49ers offensive line is going to have to win early and often, especially if George Kittle doesn't play. And that's a great point for as much attention as Kittle gets for his receiving ability. When you're watching the tape and and that running game of the 49ers moving the ball and those big plays, he is such a fantastic blocker. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. He's like an extra offensive lineman there. He is just moving bodies out of the way at will. And that's a huge loss for the San Francisco running game if he's not able to go. And speaking of interior offensive line, I am looking at an interior offensive lineman on the Packers. He is a rookie, and his name is Elton Jenkins. Jenkins, he's a position-versatile guy, played four out of five positions at Mississippi State, and has been one of the most impressive rookie offensive linemen this year of the National Football League. But this week, he and his compadres go up against DeForest Buckner, who is an absolute monster, as we all know. So that matchup could be just as critical as the interior of the 49ers offensive line going against our man Kenny Clark. That is a great point, David. I mean, you're talking about that San Francisco defensive line and it is deep it is strong it is talented it is you know just so much power so much speed so many great athletes up front there that you know they can turn almost any offensive line that isn't you know sinking at a hundred percent into a nightmare situation in a hurry Oh, they most certainly can, and one of the best ways to neutralize a pass rush like the 49ers with uh, DeForest Buckner and Nick Bosa and whoever else is on the field with them is a running game, and I think the Packers are going to turn to Aaron Jones early and often in this game, whether it's by running the ball or throwing short, quick passes to him. Oh, they're, they're definitely going to, have, going to have to do that because there's no, I mean, as we've seen with San Francisco this year, they can, that defense can just swallow teams up and it's not easy for anybody 
especially on the road, trying to come back from behind when that defense is putting you in an early hole. Yes, and uh, speaking of uh, matchups, as we continue with this category for a moment, uh, I am anxious to see what David Bakhtiari or Brian Bulaga do against Nick Bosa if they get the opportunity, because Nick Bosa is still the front runner for Defensive Rookie of the Year, but this is Bosa's biggest test as he faces arguably one of the top uh, five uh, tackle tandems in football. Yeah, that, that's another great matchup there, and and really, I mean, if you're talking about top five uh, tackles, you can even go on the other side of the ball as well and look at the San Francisco with Staley and McGlinchey and when they're healthy, how effective they've been this season and been a big part of that success as well. So um, looking at that revitalized pass rush for Green Bay, especially with the Smiths, Preston and Zadarius Smith bringing the pressure there from the outside, which has really keyed that defense. Um, this is inside, outside. You've got two teams that are strong on the offensive line, strong on the defensive line. This can be a, a fantastic matchup there. Oh, yes. And I definitely see this game being decided uh, in the trenches easily. For sure. This is, David, this is you and me. This is our kind of game. Uh, totally. But another matchup just came to m my mind. You can't ignore my man, Fred Warner. I interviewed Fred Warner at the senior bowl oh. two years ago, and he was one of the guys that impressed me the most in practice. He's arguably a top five linebacker of the NFL right now. It's just so amazing watching a guy who you saw in Mobile two years ago grow into the player that Fred is right now. He is just so awesome, and it will be fascinating to see how he matches up with Aaron Jones in pass coverage because there are very few linebackers that can handle a guy like Aaron Jones in pass coverage. Fred Warner might be one of them. He just may be. That is a fantastic matchup there. Uh, we're talking about Aaron Jones and that role he's going to have to play out of the backfield. San Francisco, they may have the kryptonite right there. And who do you see coming away with a victory Sunday night at Levi Stadium, Hal Bent? I think it's going to be a very, very close game. I'm actually thinking there's going to be more points than these two premier defenses at first glance would allow. But I have Green Bay pulling it out 28 to 25 over San Francisco. Boop, 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 boop. We have our sympathetical alert there again, oh, my friend. Oh, wow. I think I wanted to pick the 49ers, but they're just too banged up right now. I don't mean to use injuries as an excuse. Uh, they're going to keep this a very competitive game. It's going to be very close throughout, but I just think their inexperience might catch up to them in this game, and especially if George Kittle and Robbie Gold don't play, you have to give a slight edge to the more experienced Aaron Rodgers and these Green Bay Packers, and they win 27-24. to And now let's predict the rest of these Week 12 games. And we start with the battle for first place in the AFC South in Houston tonight as the Texans host the Colts. And this has close game dogfight written all over it. It sure does. And, and you know, you're, boy, you know, uh, I can't believe I picked Houston last week. I, I'm just shamed after watching that game this weekend. But I really expect Houston is going to bounce back. They're a, a more comfortable against a divisional foe. But, but boy, that, that pass rush really hurt them last week. And I'm thinking that's just not going to get the job done against this Indy offensive line. So I have to go with Indianapolis in this game. And I've got them 27 to 23 over Houston. 
That is very, very possible. I can see that happening, but I just have to go with the Texans and Deshaun Watson because Deshaun Watson shines the brightest when the lights are the brightest, and this is such a game that he was meant to shine the brightest. I like Deshaun Watson and the Texans eking out a 24-21 victory over the Indianapolis Colts. The Kings of last-second heartbreaks in 2019, my Denver Broncos, travel to Buffalo to take on the Buffalo Bills. And that said, I wasn't too depressed after last Sunday because I am already looking forward to 2020 and the draft. I want the Broncos to get the highest possible draft pick possible, and I want the Bills to send Brandon Allen tumbling back to earth, and I think they will send him tumbling back to earth. They went 23-10. to yeah, I mean, I I really wanted to pick Denver. I was, you know, a sub beginning of that game and was so excited. Uh, thought they were going to pull off that upset, and that just came tumbling down. And it's, you know, I I think they're they can be a tough matchup for Buffalo. I think it'll be a close game, but Buffalo at home, I just can't pick against them right now. Uh, 20 to 16 Buffalo over Denver is how I have it. The Chicago Bears, one of the biggest disasters of this season, plays host to another big disaster in the New York Giants. And this is going to be one of the ugliest games to watch this week. I think uh, Steely Dad is going to struggle, and I think Mitchell Trubisky is going to struggle, but the Giants have the best football player in this game. His name is Saquon Barkley, and the Bears are missing a key mix tremendously in both the pass rush and run defense. He makes the difference in an ugly, uh, say, 13-9 to Giants win. Yeah, I mean, oh, and then the kicking problems and Bria showing back up in Chicago. Oh, I, you know, it's just so hard, but boy, I just can't pick the Giants on the road. I think the Bears will figure it out somehow at home, and I have an ugly and low scoring as well, but 17-16 to 16 Bears over the Giants. To a potential uglier game, the Pittsburgh Steelers, minus Juju Smith-Schuster for this game, likely minus James Conner and Deontay Johnson in this game, traveling to Cincinnati to take on the worst team in football, the winless Cincinnati Bengals. I think this game is going to be ugly, low scoring, and close, but the Steelers' defense finds a way in an ugly, let's say, 12-6 battle of field goals. Yeah, I, I have it something like that. I have Pittsburgh winning it and having to go to overtime to do that, but I don't think Cincinnati really wants to win any games. I think they want that first pick. I don't know how they're going to screw it up. Maybe they'll draft an offensive tackle or something, but they'll find a way. But Pittsburgh. In OT, 16-13 over Cincinnati. Bungle for Burrow, bungle for Burrow. Keep doing it, Bengals. Just keep <laughs> bungling for Burrow. And the Miami Dolphins, uh, who came crashing back to earth against the Bills last week, travel to Cleveland to take on the Cleveland Browns, who are on a little bit of a resurgence. And despite not having Miles Garrett or Larry Ogajobi, Baker Mayfield's been playing much better football these past several weeks, and I expect him to keep it up against a worrisome Dolphins secondary. I think the Browns win this one rather easily, 24-13. Yeah, I'll say Miami, they certainly come to play. They don't have the horses to stick it out, but uh, Brian Flores has them playing hard for him. Them, it might be a little close. This seems like a trap game for Cleveland. It seems like anytime they start getting some momentum, they find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. But 
Uh, I still think they'll find a way to pull it out. I have them 20 to 16 over Miami. Oh, and if the Dolphins could find some way to put it out, uh, pull it out, I'd be uh, very, very happy (laughs) 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 because it'll help my Broncos in the quest for a high, high draft pick. Uh, uh, Indeed. So we're rooting for Miami. All right. All right. Got it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel to Atlanta to take on the Red Hot Falcons and it's amazing how consistently bad this Tampa Bay Buccaneers pass defense is. Oh my God, Jason Light just can't seem to fix this secondary and he got a five-year extension with Bruce Arians. Oh my God, oh. that is not looking like a good decision right now. And I think Jameis Winston is going to toss up more interceptions than touchdowns again against this resurgent Falcons defense and Matt Ryan and company just carve up that Bucks uh, secondary. Uh, and I have the Falcons winning this game pretty easily, 31-17. to Yeah, I mean, uh, you look at uh, Tampa Bay and you're like, well, uh, they beat Carolina, the Rams. It's like, eh, I don't know what's going on with them. Every once in a while, they seem to, to win one they should lose. I think this might be one of them. I think they'll Bruce Arians will find a way. They'll get enough points on the board somehow. Um, Atlanta, I think they've saved their coach's job. They can come tumbling down a little bit here. I'll give it my, uh, I don't know, not really an upset special. They both have the same record. But Tampa Bay, 27-24 over Atlanta on the road. The stumbling Carolina Panthers. It doesn't get easier for them as they travel to New Orleans to take out the Saints. And I just don't see the Saints laying another egg at home like they did against the Falcons two weeks ago. It's going to be entirely different. Uh, Drew Brees it seems definitely back in the thick of things. At the career year for Michael Thomas, uh, and both are going to pick off right where they left off last week. And Alvin Kamara will keep uh, fighting his uh, his high level of play. Again, at the uh, Saints uh, win, let's say, 34-20. to 20. Yeah, I've got an even bigger blowout than that. I think for the Saints, this is for all intents and purposes. Clinches the NFC South figuratively or literally, but 38-13, to 13, easy win at home for the Saints. And I'm sure they're going to pick off Kyle Allen several times in that game. <laughs> oh, yes. Definitely. The Seahawks and Russell Wilson, who remains my MVP, even ahead of Lamar Jackson at this moment, travel to Philly to take out the Eagles, who are struggling at 5-5. Five and five. I just do not trust the Eagles' pass defense against Russell Wilson. I just do not. Seahawks, it's going to be close, but I believe the Seahawks pull it out, let's say, 31-27. to 27. Yeah, and I have to say, I was, you know, other than that one drive early in the game, I was very surprised at that Philadelphia offense. Yes, there were some injuries in the game on the offensive line. Yes, they didn't have all Sean Jeffrey, but you know, for a team that, you know, won a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback with a exciting, invigorating offense, I really haven't seen that coming out of Philadelphia recently. And and I'm starting to think, you know, maybe the uh, power behind the throne in 2017 was Frank Reich, and that was the person we should have been thinking yep. of because yep. it's certainly been the case since he's left. That offense has gone downhill, and he's worked wonders in Indianapolis. So I'm taking Seattle. Pretty easy win on the road, 27-13 to 13 over Philly. Oh, and another key point that you just uh, brought up, uh, the Eagles might be without Lane Johnson this game, which means rookie Andre Dillard likely facing Jadeveon Cloudy coming off his best game as a Seahawk. Mismatch alert. It's going to be a nightmare. Going to be a nightmare. 
a toilet bowl this week in D.C. as the Detroit Lions take on the Redskins. And did you hear what the fans were chanting at the game last week in Washington? They were chanting, sell the team, sell the team, sell the team. Keep out at Washington, keep out at Redskins Nation, keep chanting that and keep hashtagging it and keep protesting in front of the team headquarters. Pilch Snyder out. He is a disgrace to the not just the Redskins, but to the National Football League. He has taken a proud franchise and made it completely inept. Dan Snyder must sell the team and keep it up. We are with you 100%. And they are going to get, dare I say, I think they're going to get killed by Jeff Driscoll and the Detroit Lions here. Driscoll looked good against a substantially more talented Cowboys defense. He's going to eat this Redskins defense for lunch, man. I think it's going to be pretty Easy win for the Lions, thirty-three to twenty. Yeah, I mean, uh, I really, you know, really love what Matt Patricia has done with the Lions this year. He's building the teams from the inside out, and it seems like they're just one of those teams that just—it's like every game they have a chance. There's some turning point in the second half where they've got it, they've got it won, and they just fall short week after week. After week, they're competitive in every single game that they've lost this year. So, you know, I mean, three, six, and one, they could be seven and three at this point. So, Detroit, easy win over Washington, 24 to three. The Raiders, who are playing amazing football right now, have a potential trap game as they travel to MetLife to take on Sam Darnold and the Jets. And I haven't picked an upset yet. I think I'm going to go with the Jets over the Raiders because Sam Darnold, even though it was against the Giants and Redskins, to be sure, he has shown why I personally think he is going to be the franchise savior for that team. And the Raiders uh, are learning, but I think they're due for uh, some humble pie here. And they fall 28-27 to the Jets. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's been the Achilles heel for the for the Raiders all season long is they haven't stopped anybody in the passing game all season. So this is definitely a game I can see Darnold having a big game. And did you see last week the performance by, this guy's got to be my favorite player in the NFL right now, Jamal Adams. Three sacks coming Whoa. from a safety. Yeah. He had to, ripping the ball out of these guys' hands. I mean, it was just, an unbelievable performance. This He just goes in week in, week out. Of course, all that said, I'm still picking Oakland in this game. I think they'll find a way. The, Jets, the rest of the Jets' defense just doesn't quite have enough. 27-24 for Oakland. And for one of two 3 o'clock games, the Jacksonville Jaguars travel to Music City to take on the Titans. I, so far, am not a big fan of going back to Nick Foles and benching the Fu Minshew. Yeah, I... It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Minshew was showing some regression. The sign was coming off. I mean, at the end of the day, you're paying Foles twenty million dollars a year. They're gonna, they're gonna have to go back to him, no matter what. At the end of the day, but yeah, it wasn't a very strong performance. He uh, just, you would think DJ Shock was the only guy on the going out and running routes the way that he locked in on him. Play after play after play. It was insane. It most certainly was, but 
I have the Tennessee Titans winning this game uh, 24-13. I think uh, their defense gets it done against Nick Foles, uh, especially that rookie, Jeffrey Simmons. I think he's going to feast. Yeah, I mean, uh, you got Tennessee. They're coming off a bye. They're, they've won three out of four. Um, they they should, the whole court at home here against Jacksonville, they should have a, a pretty good win. I have it 24-17, to 17, Tennessee. Your New England Patriots have a pretty tough test on Sunday as they host Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, this offense uh, might be the best offense, not named the Ravens, that the Patriots have played all season. So it's probably not going to be a walk in the park. No, no. This is shaping up to be, uh, I think, a, a very exciting game. You're going to see some of these, uh, you know, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper going up against that Patriots secondary Um you know, how are the Patriots going to stop Zeke Elliott? And then the Patriots on offense with uh, shiny new toy. Mohamed Sanu isn't practicing this week. Uh, Philip Dorsett dinged up. They've got injuries at wide receiver, and that offense has not been clicking yet. So there's some serious questions for the Patriots heading into this matchup against the Cowboys. With all that said, I like the Patriots in this game 28-17. to You want to know why? Fight on my bowl predictions. Who do you have winning? I've got the Patriots as well. I think Dallas will score some points, but as we saw against Philadelphia, once that defense gets rolling, they're hard to stop. So I have it a close one. 20-17 Patriots over Dallas. And last but not least on Monday Night Football, Lamar Jackson and that sensational Ravens offense travels to the West Coast to take on the Rams at the Coliseum. And yeah, the Rams beat the Chicago Bears 17-7, but we cannot understate how exposed Jared Goff has been this year. Like, without an offensive line, he's, he's, he's nothing without an offensive line. He's nothing. He's rookie year Jared Goff is what he is. <laughs> he most certainly is. Uh, and uh, they kept the ball out of his hands for a reason because they were playing an even worse quarterback at Trubisky uh, and they were essentially playing a game of uh, Jared, uh, we're taking the ball out of your hand, just don't screw up and we win. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do that against Lamar Jackson. And uh, I like the Ravens in this game, but I don't think it's going to be close. Ravens, uh, let's say 31-10. to 10. It's not going to be close. Oh, you know, I, I really need an upset special, David. And, you know, I'm looking at it, and, I'm, and I think I'm convincing myself if there's one coach in the NFL who's going to figure out how to slow down Lamar Jackson, wouldn't it be Wade Phillips? It probably might. It's probably the greatest defensive coach of our generation right now, I, I would have to say. If there's anybody that's going to do it, it's got to be Wade. So you know what? If somebody's going to give us that blueprint, it may just be that Monday night game. I'll give it to the Rams in my upset special, 16-13 to 13 over Baltimore. And it's time for some bold predictions now. Why don't you go first, Hal? So uh, we talked about that game of the week, Green Bay, San Francisco. I'm picking Green Bay, 28 points. Well, David, you said about Deshaun Watson, he shines the brightest when the lights are the brightest. When I hear that, I think of Aaron Rodgers. If there's anybody that loves a big primetime performance, it's Aaron Rodgers. I see him tossing four touchdowns, throwing for 400 yards against the number two defense, the number one pass defense in the NFL right now. My bold prediction, Aaron Rodgers, four touchdowns, 400 yards passing, Green Bay to the win. Tom Brady 
has been at his best his entire career when people have doubted him. And now the constant talk is, oh, he's no longer elite. Father time is almost there. He's fading. I see him against this constantly underachieving Cowboys pass defense throwing for 350 yards and four touchdowns, shutting those guys up once again at the age of 42. That's my bold prediction. Woo, that's a bold one. I like it, David. I knew you would. And last but not least, let's do our <laughs> challenge flags. And I go first, and it's to the Dallas Cowboys. You have so much talent on your team, Dallas. It's now or never. On the last year of Dak's rookie contract, you have to make a Super Bowl run, but you haven't shown me you can because you have lost to every single team that's above 500. So, Cowboys, prove me wrong and beat an elite team this week against the Patriots. Hal, who does your challenge flag go to? Well, I think I'm going to stay in the great state of Texas, and I'm going to reach out to Bill O'Brien, Deshaun Watson, the Houston Texans. That was a humiliating performance, getting blown out by Baltimore last week, 41-7. to You're 6-4. and four. You're still in the division race. You're still in the playoff race. Yes, there's no J.J. Watt. You've made the playoffs in the past without J.J. Watt. You've got three straight home games coming up. Indy, New England, Denver. This is going to decide your season right now because you've got Tennessee twice and Tampa Bay at the end of the season. Much easier matchups for you. The AFC playoffs, we need star power in the playoffs. We need Deshaun Watson in the playoffs. Houston, make it happen. He is Hal Bet, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBetDo1, and you can catch his work at FullPressCoverage.com, or if you're a Patriots fan, MusketFire.com. Thank you, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to preview Week 13 of the 2019 NFL season, so stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at SportsCrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash Sports Crunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Hal Bent, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.